HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. When it comes to like true health and wellness, there just are very, very, very few, if any, shortcuts. So, you know, if you're finding yourself asking, you know, should I buy the supplement? Should I do this? Should I do that? Maybe asking yourself, am I trying to take a shortcut? That probably does not exist. Staying healthy and in shape is no small task. Even the most diligent health nuts have days when they succumb to sweet treats and fatty foods that you'll find in bodegas and bakeries. But how much of an impact does our diet really have on physical activity? We spent this past week exploring the topic with professional athletes and nutritionists. I'm Kat Johnson, and this is Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal. For your ears. Meat and three. At its core, food is fuel. Every living organism on Earth relies on some form of sustenance to get through their day. And today, humans have a very different relationship to food than past generations. On top of having access to virtually any food we want, our understanding of nutrition has greatly expanded. In the old days, it was normal for professional athletes to eat steaks and drink beers before games. Now there's dozens of diets and nutritional ideologies wrapped up in the sports world. With all this new information, the question now is, what information should we trust? Kevin Chang Barnum starts us off by approaching this question with an inside look at the lives of both a D1 soccer star and a licensed nutritionist. In the world of elite athletics, people do whatever it takes to improve their performance. Food is often a major part of that. You're looking at any, anything that can give you an edge. That's registered dietitian, running coach, and long-distance runner Claire Shorenstein. I talked to Claire recently about the culture of nutrition in competitive sports. Everything with sports nutrition is highly, highly individualized. Claire has worked with a variety of clients and all kinds of athletes, ranging from recreational to competitive. She says good nutrition is about examining a client's needs to find a system that works for them. When I am doing like an intake on somebody, we're looking at what do they do for work? What's their home life like? Are they married, single? Do they have kids? Are they divorced? Like all these different random details that really affect their um, ability to nourish themselves. To learn more about how nutrition can adapt to an athlete's lifestyle choices, I talked to my friend Diana Potterveld, 
a former Division I soccer player for South Dakota State University. When she was in college, she broke the school's record for assists while making some major changes to her diet. So I became vegetarian uh, the spring of my sophomore year, which was in 2014. And then I became vegan the summer before my senior year, which was in 2015. And I met with a nutritionist at first for a few times just to kind of make sure I was getting everything I needed, eating enough protein, as that's usually what people think of that vegans and vegetarians don't get enough of. There are various ways vegans can get protein, as long as they pay attention to what they're eating. You know, just eating kind of beans and legumes and whole grains and nuts and seeds and just like a variety of plant foods and um, soy and whatnot. You can get what you need. You just have to be a little bit more conscientious and on top of your nutrition um, and careful. As Diana's experience shows, you can be successful while working with these dietary constraints. And I think I'm a good example of that because I set records my junior year when I was vegetarian and was also the tournament MVP my senior year when I was vegan. So I just think overall food is an important part of being an athlete, but there's a lot of different ways to do it. In the end, while eating healthy is important, it's also important to enjoy the food we eat. It's okay to you know, go out and have something that isn't as healthy for you in the long run as long as you balance it out and make sure you're aware of what you're putting into your body. You know, you want to make sure that you're still enjoying what you do and with nutrition that you're enjoying your food because that's going to be what makes you sustainable in the sport, you know, and makes your eating sustainable as well. And we want that. We want that longevity of being healthy and active for as long as we can. To learn more about Clara Shorenstein or her podcast, you can check out her website, eatforendurance.com. Next up, Nicole Cornwell takes us to Lincoln Center in Manhattan. Her conversation with ballet dancer Lauren Lovett illuminates the nutritional habits of New York City's elite dance community. When we imagine ballet, we envision the beauty of the dancers. their seamless, fluid movement across the stage as they keep time with the music. But this familiar picture of grace and buoyancy requires enormous physical effort. I mean, I always start my day with a hot shower. That's like the only way I can move in the morning. I'm always so sore. That's the life of a dancer. You wake up and you granny walk to the bathroom. Like, that's, <laughs> that's my life. Lauren Lovett is a principal member of the New York City Ballet, she invited me to the ballet's home at Lincoln Center and spoke with me about how her personal journey with food has also allowed her to grow as a professional dancer. Breathing under one, two, tall the body. It wasn't always like that. I went through a time in my life where I would pretty much survive off of chocolate milks and bagels and cream cheese and those little tiny Starbucks espresso, double espresso shots, that wasn't a good time. I've been on a, a journey with food, I'd say. I grew up in the South, so I always ate a lot as a kid. And then when I moved away from home here with the ballet and everything, I remember um, a lot of my friends had eating disorders and that... Um, that was hard for me. I ended up eating a lot more 
because I had a naturally thin body type and I felt bad that my friends were having to starve to stay in ballet and so I just had this really weird relationship with food and I realized I was just eating for everybody else, kind of treating my body like a trash can. A debilitating incident on stage motivated Lauren to permanently commit to her health. Yeah, actually I do remember it well. I used to have really, really bad cramps every month, like really bad menstrual cycle. Like, you never know when that day is going to fall. And it fell um, on a debut that I had for this really beautiful ballet called Symphony in C. And I, I was cast to do the principal role as a soloist, so it was a big deal. And I got out there on stage in our dress rehearsal and I fainted on the stage. And I felt like I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. Like, there has to be a better way to take care of myself than this. These days, Taking care of her body with intention has become a natural part of her routine. Like right when I wake up, I want to say three mandarin oranges or something like that and an apple, like just a whole fruit, whatever's in season, like a fruit plate. And then after I give it 30 minutes to an hour, I'll have a coffee. I like oat milk lattes. And then I need like the big, heavier breakfast to sustain me. I'm lucky I get to start work at 10.30. Not everybody gets to do that, so... Um, so I'll usually saute broccoli, put eggs in there, scramble it up, have like a piece of sourdough toast with vegan butter. Uh, those Beyond sausages, I freaking love those things, they're so good. <laughs> I was also curious to hear how Lauren is able to stay centered and fuel in ways other than food. I don't know a better way to stay in the, in the moment than to be physically responding to music and also mentally you know, not only are you trying to do the technique that's very challenging with ballet, but you're also trying to, you know, exert your body in this very physical way. So you have sort of a, a full 360 experience of the moment, <laughs> every moment. And so I, I don't know, I think I'm just sort of practicing mindfulness throughout my day. Despite the common stressors that tend to haunt dancers, like toxic body image or the exhausting physical labor of it all, Lauren has developed an incredibly positive outlook through personal nutrition, but also dance itself. I mean, of course, with everything, you can let uh, the wrong mindset creep in. Like we dance in front of a mirror every day that can be super toxic if you allow it to be. So there's a, a way to do it positively and there's a way that you can kind of fall into the trap of I need to be perfect all the time and you're not listening to the music anymore and you're looking in the mirror and you're just judging yourself and like that happens in ballet, we all know it happens, but um, that's not what makes this job so beautiful and it's not why people keep coming back. Thanks to the inspiring Lauren Lovett for sharing her story with me this week. You can find a full schedule for the New York City Ballet at nycballet.com. We'll be right back with more Meet and Three. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed. And more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. 
Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. Welcome back to Meet and Three. We go next to Jess Kreinchich, who explores the science behind supplements. I am by no means an athlete, nor a health enthusiast. So when someone mentions the term supplements, my mind goes to some enormous bodybuilder deadlifting 200 pounds in the gym and guzzling down some mystery protein sludge between sets. Acknowledging my total ignorance on the subject of supplements, I sat down with licensed dietitian Kaylee Clay to find out what the real deal is. What are supplements? Who uses them? And do they even work? Supplement, like by the definition, is just kind of something that's in addition to your diet, but something that's taken, you know, orally. And that's kind of what the name implies, you know, supplement, supplementing your diet. So absolutely something like a multivitamin um, would definitely be considered a supplement. Okay, even I take a multivitamin and I'm no bodybuilder. But what about the pills and powders that promise rapid weight loss or rapid muscle gain? From flat belly teas to muscle milks, there seem to be no shortage of supposed body-perfecting potions. Yeah, the world of supplements goes from one end of the spectrum to the total opposite. Um, you know, and there's been several supplements over the years that have definitely come under a lot of fire, either for just being unsafe in their original form or for masquerading as something else while something else is in the pill. Or like, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. So unfortunately, I, I, I kind of just lump all the weight loss stuff almost into just straight up one category. Like, there really is no, like, magic pill for weight loss or like one single thing that's just gonna like flip the switch but anything that's kind of promising itself as like a magic pill or like a, you know this is the only thing missing from your life to make you reach your lofty goal it sounds like they really just want your money in their pocket it's a hard world to navigate frankly browsing the aisles of my local health food store i also noticed a number of performance enhancing products a sort of pre-workout energy booster that promises to get you to your peak workout levels right away. But Kaylee says they're just another example of magic pill marketing. You know, if it has caffeine in it, like, obviously that's going to give you, like, a little boost of energy. So it'll make you feel, at least, like you're maybe getting into your workout faster or something. I have also seen some of those energy drinks have B vitamins in them, which can also help kind of boost your sensation of, of energy. So maybe it has something like that in it as well. But, you know, in general, that's not, I mean, that's not something I would recommend per se. And what about that mystery protein sludge? Is my fictional bodybuilder actually on the right path to reach their fitness goals? So when it comes to, yeah, supplements and bodybuilding or building muscle, um, there's definitely just good evidence that just kind of eating protein throughout the day just helps with muscle repair and muscle building. And then um, there's, you know, some additional uh, research demonstrating that if you are, you know, kind of having protein throughout the, the day, which seems to be the most important factor, if you're already doing that, 
then having some protein like just around your workout could be before during or after can also be beneficial um it seems like kind of the after workout snack or protein shaker or whatever is kind of the popular thing to do so it definitely is some evidence that that can be helpful in building muscle the other thing too that can be helpful is creatinine which has been shown to help you build muscle and helps the muscles just become larger creatinine or creatine is probably the most popular supplement used to build muscle mass after your general protein powders. But as Kaylee suggested, they're not necessary to your fitness routine. You could also consider something like having some yogurt or, um, you know, maybe some nuts and seeds as well. So have a fair amount of protein in it. Also like cottage cheese is up there in terms of um, protein. But anyway, so you can consider a supplement some sort of protein powder or shake if uh, you want to go the expensive route, but honestly the least expensive and possibly just as effective route is just choosing a snack that also has some protein in it. If tomorrow I decide, that's it, I'm hitting the gym and each time I finish a workout, I'm going to have a protein shake. Is there any evidence that suggests there are any negative side effects of constantly using these supplements? So there definitely is, you know, some evidence that um, excessive protein intake can be hard on your kidneys. So that's definitely something that you don't want if you get chronic kidney disease that can be irreversible. And uh, the beginning, one of the early stages of chronic kidney disease, the main nutritional treatment is to eat a low protein diet. Um, so that's a possible side effect. And then I definitely picked up on some research also that. Uh, estimated that um, every year there are 23,000 emergency room visits in the United States related to dietary supplements. So um, there definitely is, you know, a risk there. And then of that research, it said that many of the patients are young adults with um, heart problems from weight loss or energy products. And then it's also uh, rare but possible to have kind of acute liver damage also from dietary supplements. So, you know, if if that supplement, you know, isn't good for you, or if there's something in it that they are not telling you is in it, or, you know, some other sort of quality issue, maybe just your own personal body, you could definitely have issues with, you know, certain, certain organs. With these risks of negative side effects and even cases of hospitalization, it makes you wonder who is researching and regulating these products before they go to market. As it turns out, the FDA is less involved than you might think. Kaylee explained that it's a tricky legal field to navigate. So the FDA does not regulate supplements before they come to market. If they get enough like complaints, um, you know, reports that like a supplement maybe is causing like negative side effects, as an example, for people, then they absolutely have the right to investigate and to, you know, do their due diligence. And if they determine that um, that supplement is not safe or maybe what they say is in the supplement isn't or, you know, things like that, then they absolutely have the right to tell those companies to like stop selling, you know, and pursue legal action if the companies don't do that. Um, But the manufacturing laws um, for supplements are definitely less strict than for drug companies. And my understanding is also for um, just the food world, supplements have less strict standards. So what can you do to get in shape fast? Unfortunately, the other thing, too, with the food world and, and just the health world in general is often folks, you know, have a goal in mind. And I think we all kind of know 
what the long route is, you know, maybe for building muscle, we know like, okay, if you, I want to build muscle, I really should go to the gym, like, you know, several times a week and work towards this goal for a while. But there's always that, like, it seems like there's always that little voice in the back of our head that wants the shortcut. But unfortunately, when it comes to like true health and wellness, there just are very, very, very few, if any, shortcuts. Um, So, you know, if you're finding yourself asking, you know, should I buy the supplement? Should I do this? Should I do that? Maybe asking yourself, am I trying to take a shortcut that probably does not exist uh, might be, might give you, you know, the right answer to that question. So I guess slow and steady really does win the race. Special thanks to Tristan Lopez for helping me out with research and giving me a peek into the world of bodybuilding. And check out Kaylee's website, eatyourveggies.com. That's eat, Y-E-R, veggies.com. Our final story comes to us by way of HRN's Feast Your Ears, in which host Harry Rosenblum explores the human experience through the lens of food. Back in 2017, Harry had Devere Posey on to talk about the relationship professional athletes have with food. Posey was a star wide receiver at Ohio State before moving up to the NFL in 2012. Since then, he's played for the Houston Texans, the New York Jets, the Denver Broncos, and the Baltimore Ravens. In this clip, Posey breaks down his approach to eating and training for his demanding football career. I would love to understand, you know, from from you as a professional athlete, um, what your relationship is like to food. So, you know, maybe we can start in now, which is in the season. Um, you know, what does a regular day uh, look like for you as far as training, as far as eating, uh, game day versus a regular day? I mean, I wake up three days out of the week. I, I like to go to Pilates in the early morning and, um, when I get up, I, I truly believe in uh, hydration. I believe in drinking half of my body weight in ounces to be super hydrated. And I think at that point, my muscles and tissues and ligaments and joints uh, optimize the best. So just so just so I understand ever. what you're saying there. So, you know, I weigh 220. So that means that I, if I was following that regimen, I would drink 110 ounces of water a day. Amen. Got it. Amen. Got it. I, and, I, and, I, and I would recommend that for even if you're not training. Sure. It's, uh, it's, the body needs water. Um, it helps the organ. It makes everything works better. Digesting food, all of the above. So I, I try to start the, the day off with, with down in two waters. Um, I, I'm a big, big fruit eater. I always start off with two bananas, an apple, some vitamin C. I can get an orange. And then I, I like to have, you know, a little bar or something like that. And then I'll go and I do Pilates and I come home, you know, get my son eating. And I'll probably have some oatmeal, post-meal. Now I'm doing oatmeal. I'll do, uh, my wife likes to do these little breakfast quiches. Like mm. to put, uh, you put egg whites in a pan and then we'll just put like spinach, mushrooms, uh, you know, maybe some onions or what have you. And then, you know, uh, we'll have those in the freezer. You can just pop them in the microwave. I might warm one of those up if, I, if I'm not doing oatmeal. Nice. And then I go and do my cardio workout. Um, from there, have do a nice little two-hour cardio, and it could either be you know running on the field, cutting, or just running on an oversized treadmill. You know, working my uh, speed formula, stride length, time stride frequency, trying to get faster. And then uh, after that, I eat a nice solid lunch, and then I'm pretty much in downtime. You know, hanging out with the family, and I always do a nice stretching session. And and we like to eat. Uh, I'm a big fish guy, so I do a lot of cold water fish because they have natural anti-inflammatories in them. In years past, many professional athletes operated under the assumption that the rigors of their job would allow them to eat what they wanted, whenever they wanted. 
These days, athletes like Devere Posey have access to a wide range of nutritional information that allows them to better understand the role food plays in their careers. When it comes to maintaining one's physical condition over a long season, it's of the utmost importance that athletes are eating right. Adhering to a consistent nutritional schedule gives athletes' bodies the best opportunity to recover and perform week in and week out. You can hear the rest of Harry and Devere's conversation on Feast Your Ears at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Special thanks this week to Kevin Chang Barnum, Nicole Cornwell, Jess Kreinchich, and Harry Rosenblum. Meet and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Kat Johnson. Lead production this week was by Rowan O'Connell Gates. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet and Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or just want to say hey, you can write us anytime at ideas at meetand3.nyc.